morning everyone, this is Ryan from Ready Rhino 1. Uh, today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, woodworking, which is a kind of a semi-recent hobby that I picked up um, during the whole uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic thing. I was kind of just sitting around the house and bored out of my mind and, you know, not, I had other stuff to do, but I mean, you know, there's all these, these different uh, gaps in the day that I just didn't really know what else to do with, and I didn't really have much of a hobby outside of playing video games and different things like that, so I decided um, that I should probably look into doing something else. Blacksmithing had always been something that uh, sort of interests me, um, so I looked a little bit into that. I've watched videos before, too. They're always kind of interesting. Uh, but looking into what you need to do in order to get into uh, blacksmithing, it's like, you know, an anvil and different things. I guess you don't really need an anvil, but... Um, it's technically recommended uh, that you get um, something kind of like that, some kind of workspace. You can only do so much, um, and anvils are just way too expensive. Um, I mean, maybe the smaller ones are a little bit better, but I mean, they're just, they're not cheap. Um, and there's a bunch of other stuff too, uh, you know, like a, a furnace, a gas-powered furnace in order to smelt th different things down, buying crucibles and, you know, forms and green sand and different things like that. And of course, there's videos where you can kind of hack together something that's not as not not as a uh, high quality but can kind of get you by and I, I don't know like uh it just seemed like there was just a little bit more uh to it than i would uh necessarily like uh, but anyways I'm, I'm sitting around the house and i'm kind of looking at um other things and i'm seeing that you know there's some different things around the house that need to be fixed uh, my front porch the back deck um i wanted to put uh built-in bookshelves downstairs and um, pieces of furniture i'd like to 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 acquire and i started thinking like some of the some of the furniture things i was wanting to to get um you know, they were not very, not very complicated things uh, to create myself, um, but they're still kind of expensive to purchase, uh, even the lower to mid-quality ones. And I was like, well, I could probably make a, a low to mid-quality thing by myself and save a, a decent amount of money. Uh, so I started thinking, you know, wood, woodworking would be very much a very practical uh, type thing. And I guess this kind of is more toward carpentry, not necessarily woodworking. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I just figured... I don't know. I, uh, that's something that uh, would be useful. Uh, I could do. Uh, I don't. I think I have somewhat of a knack for it. Um, my uncle's pretty good at carpentry and different things like that. And my dad, um, he had built a couple of things when I was really young. Uh, so, anyways, I I kind of uh, uh, started kind of building up some tools for that. Uh, I had uh, did a bunch of research, right? So I had gone to. I checked out some videos from Steve Ramsey, um, and he had kind of this like list of things that you can do to uh, build up a workshop for under a thousand dollars. Which again, you know, like okay, if you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on woodworking tools, and then you're not gonna spend money on an anvil. Uh, but you know, once if I were to do you know blacksmithing or metalworking, really, then I mean, uh, it kind of narrows like for what I was trying to do, it kind of narrows my options um, for practicality. Uh, there's not a lot of woodworking or not a lot of metalworking stuff that needs to be done around my house, um, but there is a lot of woodworking stuff that needs to be done around my house. So. You know, I didn't really mind kind of investing in uh, some tools uh, for this kind of thing. So I picked up a, a table saw as my first tool. My dad let me have his uh, circular saw and some two really cheap uh, saw horses that he had just kind of lying around. Um, and so that was kind of my start. Um, and it, it was it was fine. You know, I, I mean, the table saw is a little bit daunting. I don't know if you've looked at any of the kind of the safety videos. I mean, I was interested in the safety videos. Looking at the manual and the safety section of the manual was kind of... A little intimidating, so I wondered, like, oh, this is probably a really, <laughs> this is probably a really uh, dangerous tool to have, and it is actually. Um, but you know, if you if you kind of take the time, uh, do due diligence, um, you can you know get yourself up to speed and get through 
uh, the necessary uh, checks that you need to go through before doing some things. Uh, really, the, uh, the uh, kickback is, is the biggest thing when it comes to a table saw. And uh, particularly for a table saw, you tend to have what's called a, a rip fence um, that's attached to the table saw itself, and it's, it's parallel to the blade. And it's so you can move a workpiece, um, you know, uh, alongside the, the, the rip fence in order to give it, you know, just that um, uh, even and squared uh, quality to the workpiece that you're trying to cut. Uh, and so the problem can come up that the uh, the the rip the distance between the rip fence and the back of the saw blade can be um, uh, less of a distance than the distance between the front of the saw blade and the rip fence, right? So you kind of you have a very slight trapezoid uh, kind of shape in this in the center there, uh, and this can be bad because as you're moving a workpiece through, it, it it constricts towards the back, and so you have what's called binding. And um, also sometimes the wood piece that you're cutting, the the wood fibers themselves are kind of under stress against each other, and when you cut some of them, then the stresses kind of cause one side or the other to then kind of slightly bow in. It doesn't really take much. Um, the since the blade is spinning kind of counterclockwise, the the blade's teeth are coming are kind of uh, rotating toward you, um, so up and over and then towards you and then down. Uh, so what can happen is if if it binds in the back or the fibers kind of move a little bit of the workpiece in uh, as it's being cut, um, those teeth can grab uh, part of that workpiece and then basically pull the rest of the workpiece up and over its blade, kind of spinning it um, over the top of the blade and it basically fires it back at you. This is called kickback. Um, and because the blade is spinning so fast, you can get wood pieces that can, you know, fire at you in excess of 100 miles an hour. I don't know if the wood piece itself is traveling at that speed, but the blade certainly is. So, I mean, because of inertia and all that kind of stuff, I mean, the wood pieces, it's going to move pretty fast, faster than you would want it to, right? I mean, you, I've, I saw people who, you know, really damaged themselves, um, ruptured organs in their abdomen, um, horrible, horrible bruises. And that's just with like the bigger, lighter, like the bigger pieces, but they're kind of lighter. Um, but you know, if you're dealing with a, a large piece of a hardwood, I mean, some of that kind of stuff could probably go right through you, um, or just, you know, impale you in some way. And it's just, it's not a good, it's not a good situation. So you just gotta be very careful when you, when you deal with this kind of stuff. And the other problem is that if you're holding onto the workpiece and it, the blade causes it to climb up over it, you're, it's going to drag your hand across the blade itself. And so people lose fingers this way as well. Um, so I mean, there's a couple of things that you want to do um, using, you know, you want to measure um, the distance between uh, the blade and the rip fence on both on both the front and the back of the blade to make sure that they're as close as possible to being the same. Um, you know, those are some things you can do at the very beginning um, before you even begin cutting. You know, typically, though, the blade's going to keep its, its square to the table pretty well um, and it's going to stay aligned. Um, but it doesn't hurt to double check. It only takes, you know, 10-15 seconds to do. Really the biggest thing is the riving knife. It's a, it's a piece of metal um, that kind of sits behind the blade uh, at the back uh, and a little bit over um, in many cases as you can adjust it. And um, this thing makes it so that when the, when the piece moves through the blade, when it gets to the back, if it is binding or if the fibers do cause it to kind of move inward, um, by that time, um, much of the workpiece will have moved beyond the riving knife, and so it will bind up or butt up against the riving knife and not the blade. And so that's what you really want. That's what eliminates a lot of the uh, instances of kickback. 
Um, and there's some other things too. I mean, you should be using what's called a push block. There's a you know a chunk of wood kind of that's got some grooves on it that you can kind of place on the workpiece and move it through safely so your hands aren't actually touching the workpiece as it's moving near the blade. Um, feather boards uh, can be used on the other side that kind of make sure that there's um, uh, like a, what's it called, horizontal or lateral pressure, um, pushing, making sure the workpiece stays flush against the, the rip fence as it's moving through. Um, obviously, you probably wouldn't use this. These are only for rip cuts. You wouldn't use this for uh, cross cuts. For cross cuts, you would, um, these are kind of the smaller ones you would do. You make sure that the, the piece is kind of secure to the miter gauge as you slowly move it through. So again, you're, and the miter gauge just moves it you know, consistently on, a, on like a track um, that's usually built into the table. And so this ensures that the piece kind of moves through and that your hands aren't kind of near it. Uh, and you, know, you don't want to freehand it where you're holding both sides of a board and running it through this uh, thing. You can really mess yourself up. So just a couple of different things um, that they, there are some safety measures in place. I mean, there's also some blade guards and different things. And, you know, you also want to have hearing protection, eye protection, that kind of stuff. But um, it, it's pretty interesting. Anyways, I, I kind of went a little too far on the safety side of things. But I mean, I spent, oh, I can't tell you how many hours I spent just watching video after video after video, some of which were kind of like horror stories <laughs> um, that kind of helped me to keep a little sober, healthy amount of fear. Uh, when approaching the tool, because really the, the table saw can be very dangerous, but if you take all the necessary precautions and you, like I said, you do your due diligence, um, things can go really well. Um, and, you know, uh, there's some other stuff too that kind of go beyond that. Like, are you feeling tired? Are you, you know, distracted and that kind of thing? You want to eliminate all those. So you're just, you know, you're trying to, even it, it may seem a little over the top, um, but I think it's, it's worth it uh, not to, uh, not, not to um, put yourself in a position where you could be you know, potentially get yourself into a really bad uh, safety situation or, or lack of safety, that is. Um, so you can imagine my horror when I um, first started using this thing. And um, because it's, it, it comes most, the table saw comes mostly assembled. Uh, the riving knife um, was not in place. And so the first thing the manual says to do is like take that, you know, the, the uh, plate off or the, you know, the blade plate off. And then you want to make sure, well, also that it's unplugged. <laughs> and you want to um, pull the riving knife up and get it into position. And there's like this little um, turn latch that will secure it in place. Well, I didn't notice that um, on the riving knife itself, it had two like little um, pinhole type things. That So when you do, because it only has a, a couple of positions. And so when you get it into a certain position, there's two pinholes there. And they're, they line up with two pins that are actually um, built into the... Uh, blade housing itself. So the riving knife comes up to one of the positions and you when you lock it in place it pushes the riving knife into place through those two pins so it keeps it locked and steady in a, in a very um, specific uh, position. Well I didn't really notice that the pins weren't lined up and so I was kind of you know not I didn't try to force it but I noticed that like the thing wasn't really in there too much and so I was started doing it but it was still kind of lined up with the blade so I didn't really think too much about it. Well I did a couple of cross cuts, my first cross cuts, and then they went they went fine. And then I was lining up for my next one, um, and as I'm going through the because of the vibration of the table, uh, the riving knife had come loose and it just kind of fell down into the thing. I, you know, freaked out. I kind of stopped. Uh, you can kind of hit the kill switch with your knee the way the the um, power switch is meant is uh, set up. You can kind of pull this thing up and it stays there, and then it's like a, a pad. So you can kind of hit it with an elbow or your knee or something like that. You don't really need a hand uh, to actually um, stop it. So I hit the kill switch, right? And the whole thing powers down. I was like, 
you know, I'm kind of hyperventilating. <laughs> my heart rate's kind of up. And I realized that what I had done it was really stupid. Now, fortunately, because it was a crosscut, the possibility of a of a kickback on a on a simple crosscut is pretty low anyway. And I had other precautions in place, um, so it probably wouldn't have been bad. Um, but still, uh, you just don't want to do it. So, in some ways, I'm thankful that the mistake I did make um, was one that had no consequences at least that time. But it was enough to get me kind of like. Um, very keenly aware uh, of, you know, what I'm doing for future references. Uh, so that was, uh, I'm kind of thankful for that, that little experience, but it was a little unnerving there at first, actually watching all these safety videos, taking all these precautions, and then I mess up on this one thing. So um, that was a little upsetting, but, you know, um, we uh, move on, right? So, um, you know, once I kind of got into this a little more, I started, you know, I, I had a lot of fun designing uh, work pieces. Um, so the very first thing I had to build was a workbench, right? I didn't really have a workbench. I just had this table saw. So the table saw itself is obviously just a portable table. It's just one of those, and the table saw I have is a, you know, a contractor job site kind of one. You just, it's pretty mobile. Um, so I, I designed this um, workbench. I borrowed some ideas from other people's workbenches that they had made. And I wasn't trying to go for anything like really fancy where they have, you know, all this stuff um, built into it. But... I just needed like a, a shelf on the bottom, uh, a, a decently sized uh, table top with apron kind of overhang uh, kind of thing so I can clamp things to it. Uh, and then I also built this um, uh, extension table off to the side uh, so that I could actually place the table saw on the extension and if the table saw's tabletop would line up flush with the rest of the table so I had a bigger outfeed table that I could work with. Um, so I, I you know designed all this thing, had a lot of fun measuring all this stuff. Um, you know, finally got to use all that math <laughs> that I learned in uh, in grade school, and um, so I started, you know, building this thing out, um, and it went pretty well. Um, there's little mistakes here and there, and that kind of thing, and um, I also built a router table and then a modular table. The modular table, so I could um, put like the drill press on, or I could switch it out and put the router table top on, things like that. So. It was a lot of fun. Um, the The router table was probably the most complicated one. There's a lot going on, but it actually worked out pretty well. My um, the the router table fence, which is what you kind of butt the uh, workpiece on as you move it um, through the router bit, and it had like a you know dust collection um, cavity and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the it's not exactly square. It's pretty close, but not great. Um, I'm, I'll probably need that, but that I can redo, but I have it on T-Track so it can, you know, secure pretty well. And I've got this, you know, plate insert, uh, that goes on. I had to laminate two pieces of plywood to make it really thick and then, um, route out, uh, interior parts of the plate would sit, um, uh, semi-flush. I didn't want to get too low, just slightly up. Um, so that, that all worked out pretty well. The only problem is it's kind of a really rough, uh, <laughs> go at it. But I can always redo it. It's not. It's not the end of the world. The router plate itself is like a really hard uh, polyurethane plastic. It can just you know unscrew and come out, and I can rebuild the whole thing and then drop it back into a new one, right? Um, so that worked out, I think, uh, decently well. Um, I bought the router thinking that I had. So I had an, an earlier design for the workbench. Um, I was going to actually laminate two by fours vertical, not vertically, but they were you know standing up, the uh, short um, side standing up. Um, to make a really thick butcher block looking thing. Um, it would have brought the, the price and the weight of the entire table up tremendously, which is pretty good because you don't want any kind of movement when you're working on something. But at the same time, it'd been a lot of work. I, I don't have a jointer that can, you know, process something like that. Something that size, you're kind of, 
you have to use what's called a router sled. I mean, I'm sure there's probably carpenters out there that would probably know exactly what uh, an alternative is to that. But I only knew, I saw you had to make a router sled that you just move the router across the table at a consistent depth um, to basically make sure that everything, you know, because there's like warps and stuff in the wood, um, bows and cups. and like, Well, the cups wouldn't matter so much, but the, you know, the bends would, or these bows on the, <clears throat> on the, on the pieces itself. And so it would cause unevenness on the worktop. And so you have to use the router sled to move the router across it and to buzz down or, or you know, eat, uh, chew down some of the top, the higher parts of the wood. <clears throat> and then that's how you get, you know, an even and consistent thing. Then you have to run over it with a sander to kind of make sure it's really smooth. This is a lot of work. So I, when I bought a router thinking I would do that, well, now, you know, now I have a router table. I can just, you know, mount the router into that and use it for everything, anything else. Um, so... Yeah, I, I was like, I was wondering, like, I should do this really high quality one, but I was like, no, I just need something, right? So perfection is the enemy of the good, um, and I just needed something good, especially right now. It was my first time, so I didn't need to kind of go overboard with anything like that. Um, so, anyways, I've, you know, I've been, I've made a couple of pieces since then. I made a, a patio table, a garden bench, and different things like that. I went through Steve Ramsey's um, kind of wood, wood weekend woodworkers kind of thing. I forgot the the name of it, but. He kind of goes through a lot of the basics and introduces you to some pretty easy designs and then you can make some you know practical things and i'm in the middle of making the coffee table um kind of got a little waylaid um in this uh <laughs> in this whole thing because you know just work stuff started coming up and uh, the pandemic stuff started uh, becoming more relaxed so it wasn't as bad um, and so you know it's not as not nearly as much time i'd love to get back into it of course now lumber uh, lumber prices have gone through the roof um, I think because the uh, I read that the sh they, they've uh, mill milling places have kind of eliminated some shifts and so they're not producing as much. So there's a kind of a smaller supply, but the demand has remained the same. So prices go up, um, and so that's you know that's kind of unfortunate. But you know I'm sure things will even out um, in the coming months. Um, so that, you know I'll be able to get back into it. Um, but you know that's uh, that's a little bit about uh, what I've gone through with woodworking. Um, I think in future episodes I might talk a little bit about kind of some other projects I'm doing and maybe kind of get some pictures, video of that. I'm not really sure, um, but you know we'll see. But uh, thanks for listening. Bye.